and welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, Al Grover Fricks, to resume our discussion in Exodus chapter 8. That's right. I was translating this week, and I told you there's some things here in these plagues. They're not what we thought that they were. And you said, oh yeah, they're really just gifts. <laughs> That's true. I did say that. Uh, which you were joking, and no, they're they're not. But uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Me too. Yeah, it, I'm. it was fascinating. Great. All right. Well, without further ado... Exodus 8, uh, scroll of Shemoth. Here we go. Yahweh said to Moshe, Say to Aharon, stretch out your hand in your branch over the wadis, over the Yorim, and over the lakes. Cause the marsh leapers to rise upon the land of Mitzrayim. Aharon stretched out his hand over the waters of Mitzrayim. The marsh leapers rose up. They covered the land of Mitzrayim. The ones who held the book and stylus in their blazing fire did like this. They caused the marsh leapers to arise over the land of Mitzrayim. Pero called to Moshe and Aharon, he said, Intercede with incense to Yahweh. Oh, that he would turn aside the marsh leapers from me and from my people. Oh, I would send out the people. They will slaughter to Yahweh. Moshe said to Pero, Adorn yourself over me. When shall I intercede with incense for you, for your servants and for your people, to cut off the marsh leapers from you and your houses? They will remain only in the Yaor, he said, for tomorrow. He said, as your word in order that you will know that there is none like Yahweh our God, the marsh leapers shall turn aside from you and from your houses and from your servants and from your people, only in the Yaor they shall remain. Moshe left and Aharon from being with Pero. Moshe shrieked to Yahweh upon the word of the marsh leapers, which he had set for Pero. Yahweh did as the word of Moshe. The marsh leapers died from the houses, from their courtyards, and from the fields. They heaped them together, bubbling mortar of bubbling mortar. The land stank. Pero saw that there was the spirit. He heavied his heart. He did not shem'ah them as Yahweh had spoken. Yahweh said to Moshe, say to Aharon, stretch out your branch, plague the crushed dust of the land. She will become parasites in all the land of Mitzrayim. They did so. Aharon stretched his hand in his branch. He plagued the crushed dust of the earth. She became parasites and humanity and in the silent ones, all crushed dust of the land became parasites in the land of Mitzrayim. The ones who held the book and stylus in their blazing fire did so to bring out the parasites, but they could not. There were parasites in humanity and in the silent ones. The ones who held the book and stylus said to Pero, he is the finger of God. The heart of Pero was strengthened. He did not shema them as Yahweh had spoken. Yahweh said to Moshe, rise early in the morning, station yourself before the presence of Pero. Look here, he is exiting from the water. You will say to him, this is like what Yahweh says, send out my people, they will serve me. For if you will not send my people, look at me. I am sending in you and in your servants and in your people and in your houses, the raven. The houses of Mitzrayim shall be filled with the raven and also the dirt that they are upon. On that day, I will distinguish that nearby land upon which my people stand. 
they will be without a raven, in order that you will know, for I am Yahweh, in the inner parts of the land. I will place a ransom between my people and your people. This sign will be for tomorrow. Yahweh did so. A heavy raven came to the house of Pero and the house of his servants, and in all the land of Mitzrayim. The land was ruined from the face of the raven. Pero called to Moshe and to Ahron to say, Walk, slaughter to your God in the land. Moshe said, It is not upright to do so, for it would be the disgust of Mitzrayim if we slaughter to Yahweh our God. Look here, we slaughter the disgust of Mitzrayim in their eyes. Will they not stone us? We will walk three days' journey into the desert. We will slaughter to Yahweh our God as he said to us. Pero said, I will send you. You will sacrifice to Yahweh your God in the desert. Only a distance? You will not go a great distance. Walk, intercede with incense behind me. Moshe said, look here, I'm going out from with you. I will intercede with burning incense to Yahweh. He will turn the raven from Pero, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Yet, oh, that Pero would not again deceive without sending out the people to slaughter to Yahweh. Moshe left from with Pharaoh. He interceded with incense to Yahweh. Yahweh did as the word of Moshe. He turned the raven from Pero from his servants and his people. Not one remained. Pero heavied his heart also in this moment, and he did not send out the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whew. Three. That was three, right? Three plagues. Although Three the plagues, first yeah. one wasn't even called a plague, so is it a plague? Ba-ba-da. Yeah, that's a great question, and it kind of plays into the first thing I wanted to talk about oh, in the chapter. Right but, off the bat. Um, yeah. All right, so I've split this chapter into two sections. The first part is verses 1 through 15. The second part is 16 through 32. Checks out. Near even split. So let's go ahead and jump in. I don't have anything for verse 1, but I wanted to look in verse 2 at the second line, I will plague all your border in marsh leapers. Yeah. And there's two things I want to look at that verse. Um, The first is the word plague. So if we look at other translations, the KJV and ESV will both say smite. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, NIV is going to say plague. Yes. And the word there is Nagaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see this in the book of Numbers, which I think is interesting. Do not go up for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. And there they use the word struck mm-hmm. um, instead of plague. So I'm curious about the way that this is this word is utilized, the meaning. Uh, also in comparison to, we have in Genesis chapter 12, verse 17, Uh, And again, I think this is the ESV translation I have here. But the Lord afflicted Pero and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Avraham's wife. Um, And the word there that is generally plagues uh, is a similar word, and that is nagah. The one we have in chapter 8 is nagaf, but this is nagah. And it's in there twice. The Lord nagah Pero and his house with great nagah because of Sarai and Avraham's wife. Uh, the interesting thing about that word to me is that it first shows up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 3. Mm-hmm. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch, nagah, mm-hmm. it. Yes. And it's the same word that's used like when you strike your foot against the stone. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. 
very much so. Okay, so what a wonderful little summary um, that was. Thank you. So yes, you're correct. Um, the word nag'ah, both in modern Hebrew and ancient Hebrew, really just means touch. Um, and it's it's taught that way. And so um, I, I translated it poorly. Um, mm. Uh, my first go around, I don't uh, know. In the Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, yes. I should have done it as um, that they were touched by God, but I didn't maybe because it sounded weird or maybe because I wasn't paying close enough attention. Yeah, probably just like, you know, again, we're working against things that we are familiar with in the right. language, and it is super hard to get your brain out of that space. Right. Uh, but I am, you know, actively doing revisions, including right now, and so I'm glad that it's been flagged. But yes, nag'ah means touch. Um, and so it should read it that way. Um, nagaf is a, a fun little journey here. So we have a different word for strike or smite, which is why I didn't want to use it here. Um, and it's pretty dang common. Yeah. It's uh, shows up like the Lord will strike you. It's 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 continually throughout the text. But uh, it's not the same as like when Moshe strikes the Egyptian. No, no, no. Nagaf is not that common word yeah. for strike. It is not that word. Right. There That's is a I'm different saying. word for yeah. strike. Um and it comes up all the time. So I didn't want to use that um, here, even though nagaf is usually translated strike. Um, I am saying that it is plague after quite some, <laughs> quite some reading and working with the word because the reason that it often gets translated as some kind of pushing or shoving is because there is one spot in Exodus 21 where it talks about if your cow nagafs another cow, oh, you yes. need to kill the first cow. The famous uh, passage about your neighbor. Well, okay, Captain Good Samaritan over there. Um, but I'm guessing that's where you're familiar with it from. Yeah, it's it, it became a debate on, well, what if it's a Gentile farmer's cow who strikes a Jewish oh. person's cow? Oh, and, yeah, 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 in Talmud. Yeah. I know what you're talking about now. I've caught up. You are correct. Um, so whatever Nagaf is, it has to be something that one cow can do to another. Um, and so because of that, I think is where push, um, or gore, gore is also used sometimes gets in there because, uh, you know, linguists have collectively, collectively twiddled their thumbs at the ceiling, yeah. wondering what cows can do to each other. And I would say that Martial a cow. arts. Have you not seen, <laughs> what is that, Kung Fu Panda 2? Is there a cow that does martial arts? Uh, one of them, the bad guy, is a cow, is a bull of some kind. Wow, so. I don't have that locked and loaded in my memory, but I'm happy with the reference. Um, uh, so I would maintain that you can have a plagued cow that spreads its disease to another cow. Through martial arts. Through martial arts, potentially. And if it does that, then you have to kill the first cow so it doesn't keep spreading disease to everybody. That checks out for me. Um, the rest of like, you know, because some people like Jesenia says, well, it's not strike, it's smite. 
Right. But if you look and up, that's what like, Rashi says. If you look up the etymology of smite versus strike, um, they're the same, except for that smite includes a plague sometimes. So it's like, well, if that's what we mean, why don't we just say plague? Yeah, Rashi says the distinction is between whether or not it's a killing strike or just a ouch strike. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And so Nagaf does not necessarily mean killing, it, but it may mean smiting. And so, so it's not just a flesh wound if it's, it's not a, It's not a deadly smite. It's a... It's a, that hurts. Huh. Well, if we come across, I mean, I'm freewheeling here. So if we come across a new verse that has a better word for plague, then I'll have to go back and redo my work again and publish a, you know, public apology. Uh, but I don't think that that'll, I, I mean, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens here. But uh, I think that it is, I think that it's plague. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think in the context here, right, uh, plague is traditionally what we're talking about. And so utilizing the word plague in this instance, in this form, uh, makes sense in the moment. Well, there's there's also some confusion because in the narrative portion the of the historical books, it'll be the armies went out to fight each other and then God smote one. And so it's like, did they all just like keel over lightning um, or was it a plague? Right. Exactly. So in my opinion um, and, you know, with some history background, plague is a big problem in camps and and army camps. So it all seems plausible to me, but I could be wrong. Um, So I will plague all your border in marsh leapers. Yeah. Marsh leapers is a... Uh, is not what I was expecting there. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of, you know, it makes sense, I suppose. Yes. Uh, it's a, so our frog translation is another um, is another conclusion that comes from some good old thumb twiddling. Right. Of, well, what jumps and lives in a marsh? Um, right. I and remember, other folks have felt confident enough about saying, well, it's probably frogs. Yeah. I, I was, when I was reading about that in the, uh, in the footnotes on the word, you know, it was talking about the word kind of coming from this idea of jumping around in the marsh. Right. right. And so it's not, incredibly descriptive as to what creature it is right just something someone that jumps anybody in a marsh. that jumps like you could be jumping around in the marsh and you're a marsh sleeper right right so it's you yeah it would be you <laughs> yeah exactly so uh so i think that it's you know i'm not confident in saying that it's a frog i'm not egypt has a rich wildlife of semi-aquatic creatures um, and so it could be any of them, which I think is kind of fun to imagine them all plopping up out of the marsh. Um, but who am I to say? I don't know. Uh, okay, but it does say they will rise up, and I'm excited about that. Rise be- up. Yes, Hamilton reference is uh, what God had in mind right there, actually. But um, I mean, they were fighting in the marshes. <laughs> um. I think that each of these plagues, here's my theory, and we've only looked at three so far, um, and I haven't spoiled the rest by doing the work yet, Um, but I have a theory that each of these is going to relate to the oppression that God's people is going through in some Mm. way. 
Um, because we can tend to imagine like, and then God was kind of mean 12 times over, right? And you can see how many of them you remember. But what if instead each of these plagues is God witnessing the 10 plagues and te- right you know 12 is a more biblical number <laughs> <laughs> the other two were moshe and aharon yeah. yeah oh boy um no so what if each of these 10 plagues is god testifying to the injustice that's happening to this immigrant community and saying you've tried to cover it up you've tried to say that they deserved it i see what's really happening here because rise up is the what they're trying to do um we've yeah. had all of this up imagery we've talked about um literature from the ancient near east often including the heroes going down to the underworld and how this uh going back to the promised land is always an up thing right so i think the marsh sleepers go rising up is evocative of that well that and that is the exact fear that they have for About the, the Israelites. Israelites. Yeah, right. that they are going to rise up and take over. Right, exactly. And so... <laughs> and they're calling him them, you know, referring to them as these creepy crawlies. Right, yes, so, the slithering things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you don't let God's people rise up, creation itself will rise up in protest. Right, yeah. Um and then in verse 3, uh, when they rise up, they start by appearing in the house of Pero. Yes. In their lounging room, on their bed, and then into the house of your servants, and then into your people, and then into your cauldrons and your kneading bowls. Yes. So the progression there is interesting that it lists all of those out, right? Instead of just saying there was a plague of frogs, they were everywhere. Right. Went to the extent to list out this uh, progression, all coming from the source, which was the house of Pero. Right. Well, before that, it says all your border. And I mean... Uh, Tanakh isn't always chronological, so that could be like the the topic sentence. <laughs> yeah, <know? laughs> I see that as right. That's the that's the maximum extent of this plague is going to be all your border, but it's going to start in your mm-hmm. house and it's going to spread from there. Got it. And I think that that's symbolic, just kind of like we were talking about of what they've been saying. Mm. This um, is a you problem, Pharaoh. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The citizens aren't necessarily complicit. Um, Maybe they are, maybe they're not, but it's because of your leadership that this is happening. And we're going to make it clear from his places of luxury to his lounging room and his bed. And then his servants aren't exempt or his people. And then all the the common places, cauldrons and kneading bowls. Uh, Okay, yeah. Um, Anything from the Yahweh said the Moshe and say to Aaron portion? Yeah, I mean, just in that it's, uh, you know, in verse 5, this say to Aharon, stretch out your hand in your branch Mm -hmm. is an interesting thing to say. And we don't always see it uh, when these plagues happen. We don't always see that same language. Sometimes Mm. it's just stretch out your hand. Mm. Sometimes it's stretch out your hand with your staff. Sometimes it's take your staff and strike something. So there are differences in the ways in which these plagues are even just brought about. And I think that is interesting. I'll have to pay attention to that because I have not been. Um, But two things about the in your branch thing. One is that Hebrew has vastly limited number of prepositions. 
Um, And so sometimes we allied our different usages, you know, like, well, I guess we'll go with in. Um, However, we do have with. Eam means Mm. with. So you could have said stretch out your hand with your branch. And I think it's in because we keep talking about how branch is an authority symbol. Yeah. And so he says, stretch out your hand in your authority over right. the bodies. Right. Um, and I think that's why the preposition is like that. And that's why I left it weird, even though it feels uncomfortable in the English. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. So um, to kind of highlight that then, when we had the river, it was striking the Nile with the staff. Hmm. Um, here we have the stretch out your hand in your branch. Uh, well, it was branch earlier with the bloody water. Right. Yes. Yes. Always but it was branch. a striking. Right. Here it's a stretching out before it was a striking. Um, and then in verse six, uh, the marsh leapers rose up. Now, there was an interesting note in the Midrash mm-hmm. about this phrase. And uh, I'm pulling from Rashi here saying that there was really only one frog because of the form that the word is in is singular. Let me uh, look. I would love that if so, because of later, I could have just missed it. So th- he says, this is a Midrashic explanation of the usage of the singular noun here. Uh, okay, well, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so it has been plural this whole time. And then all of it a just sudden, switches to singular. in verse six, it's singular. That's hilarious. So God says he's going to send these the frogs. frog. And then the behemoth frog, according to the Midrash, arises in the house that. of Pero. Oh, my goodness. And it splits into smaller frogs. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, as they, uh, it seems like as they, uh, attack it, right? So they keep trying to get rid of this frog by killing it. And each time they do that, it splits into more frogs and more uh, frogs. And a, more frogs. Uh, Hydra kind of mechanic there. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, wow. and I think that that's, you know, it's a, it's Midrash, so it's not explicit in the text, but explaining this weird singular I mean it transition. is explicit in the text before it said plural and now it's a singular I mean I guess the hydra part isn't explicit but it is explicit uh here's another reason I like that other than that I love just the cartoon image that my brain is creating of the giant frog a huge frog coming over the horizon a frog human. eyes first ah oh, I love it so much okay but um is because a Egyptian frog goddess. Um, his name's Hecate, uh, and she's the goddess of fertility. Okay. She's related to the Nile and, you know, etc. But I like that because with my theory that each of these plagues has a message, right? And it's not just God like being like, look at this cool thing I can do. <laughs> but telling something Paro through his actions, um, making it a beautiful thing, right? Because... Mm. God told Moshe, what I'm going to do is beautiful. And we're like, really? Is frogs beautiful? But if he's testifying to um, the fertility of the uh, of God's people being turned towards darkness, right? And that their babies were killed. Right. And um, they're being struck down. Right. I feel like using a fertility image uh, in a retributive way yeah. it's like revenge of, of the babies of the stamped on fertility right and they're coming out of the waters 
Yeah. So. Oh, that's so good. I love it. I I am team giant frog. Yeah. 100%. Changing um, my translation right now. Thanks, Rashi. Okay. So verse seven. Uh, yeah. The ones who held the book and the stylus oh. used their blazing fire. And did the same. And did the same. But before that, or did like this, um, it says... Uh, Tachas that uh, the the frog the singular one which I should have seen man it's a singular feminine noun she which ding 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 by the way even matches the goddess yeah she covered the land of Mitzrayim um that covered word uh is all the way back from um Genesis six with the flood oh um the flood covering the land of um you know the planet um. Uh, it's chapter 7, excuse me, verse 10. And potentially, the textual narrative is drawing upon that motif to remind the reader of what happened the last time a group of people had their heart set on only violence all the day. Right. Right. To, to talk about the complicit nature of um, Mitzrayim and what's happening. Yeah. Okay. Now go ahead with our book and stylus boys. All right. So they use their blazing fire. Now we've talked about those things already in the last chapter. <laughs> Boring. Old, like news, old news. Supernatural angel fire. Whatever. Uh, but they also cause the marsh leapers to arise over the land. Which, which is again, like doubling down. Like still fascinating. And anybody who like says that this is still magic tricks, yeah, they just had like a thousand frogs up their they sleeves. They also had a frog hemoth. <laughs> I want to see the battle between the two frog hemoths. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they they take the situation. They make it twice as bad. Good on them. Cool. Nice one. Right. Uh, yeah, good job. <laughs> you think you think if they wanted to show some power, they would just make the frogs go away. Right. But they don't. But they don't, which they I don't. think there is some kind of spiritual lesson in there about what darkness can do. Right. Um, or thoughts about power. Right? Yeah. There's always more. Something, something deep insight here. The enemy stuff, appearance of light. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Incisive, interpretive um tools that we're giving right y'all today okay but go ahead but moving from that in verse eight Pero calls to moshe and aharon he says intercede with incense he sure does to yahweh to get rid of all of the frogs the ones that moshe and aaron uh aharon mm. brought and yep. the ones that his uh his book holders brought right whom i should not have said were just boys because maybe there were Maybe they're That's female true. scribes. That's true. Uh, but I wanted to look at the intercede with incense yes. word. This is back from Avimelech's family being struck within struck ding 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 with infertility, and Avraham is called a prophet, and he is the first one to intercede with incense. Um, and then Yitzchak, I think, also has to do the same thing for Rivka, and it even uses the preposition behind there. I believe, which comes up the second time Pero asked Moshe to do it. Yeah, so I was curious about that. So um, to look at the ways we would see this, KGV says entreat, NIV just says pray, ESV says plead. But the word uh, in the Hebrew is atar. (laughs) So Genesis 25, uh, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, right? right? So interceded. 
I was curious about that because in Genesis 20 with uh, Avimelech, mm-hmm. it's Palal. Okay, so I squished the two there. Okay, so fascinating. So Palal is our regular word for prayer. Okay. So this, and like if you read the Psalms where we're talking about praying all the time, it's going to be hit palal um, all day long. And so atar, it has an ayin, so it gets a little slap of the vocal cords there. Atar um, is not that word. And yeah. yes. Yeah, I was surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. Fully, fully different word. And so um, people in the other translation list, there's entreat, there's supplicate, yeah. there's um, plead. And it's has to do with the way that we think about prayer and what prayer is and what it's accomplishing. And so to me, what is a prayer that's not just like full of praise or you're talking to God or whatever, but specifically on behalf of somebody else, that's our word intercede. Um, And so that's why I did that. But in the Syriac and in the Arabic, it is the word for incense, which, um, uh, in Hebrew is keter. Now you can hear um, atar, keter are pretty close. Yeah. The difference there is the first syllable. And sometimes ayins, when they jump over to different languages, get um, different consonants slipped in, just like Americans say Baghdad, when it's uh, the G in bag uh-huh. is actually an ayin. Um, just like Gomorrah of Sodom and Gomorrah isn't actually Gomorrah, it's Amora. Um, and so linguistically, sorry if this is too much of a deep dive um, for everyone, but uh, linguistically, there's this question of whether it's um, really just is incense. Um, and it's the word for incense in these other two languages. So I'm putting them together because I think that's pretty solid evidence. Um, but it's not just the word incense, right? Because it's used in, it does, it's not the word get there. So right. uh, that's why I used both. And also, incense is a big theme in Tanakh in general. Like, uh, the minor prophets at the end of the whole thing, say, in the age of Messiah, will use incense. Everyone will use incense to worship God. Hmm. And we, we, we've just said, nah, that's like for the Eastern Orthodox. Anything sensory probably is distracting and idolatrous. So anytime I see incense, my bias is like, let's wrap that puppy back in there. Well, yeah. I mean, in this instance, it removes plagues. So in this instance, there's incense. In this instance, there's incense <laughs> of intercession. Yes, and and uh, successful. Although it doesn't say because of the incense. It, it says because God listened to the word of Moshe, which also is fascinating. You know, if Aaron had prayed, would it not have worked you know anyway questions yeah um lots of questions verse 9 moshi said to pero adorn yourself over me who knows who knows uh when shall i intercede with incense for you so i thought this question was interesting of he's not just saying yeah i'm gonna do it but he's asking specifically when do you want me to do it Yes. Um, Rashi uh, has a note here that uh, what he's saying here is uh, not uh, is not saying that Moshe is going to wait until that specific time that is stated, and then he's going to pray and stuff is going to go away. Rashi says that Moshe, what Moshe is doing is he's going to pray right now that God would remove the frogs 
at the time that Pero requests. Yes. And what's interesting to me about that is that Pero could have said, right now, please. Uh-huh. And he doesn't. Yeah. He says, why don't you do it tomorrow? Right. I mean, from like a figure out the magician's trick standpoint, that makes sense to me because if I thought that Moshe was a trickster, then surely he would have anticipated me saying, do it right now, and he's ready. So saying, wait till tomorrow makes, you know, is like trying to trick the trickster. So that checks out. Um, but, but yeah, I do think it's funny that he's like not that invested in the suffering of his people to be like, we need bread and there's frogs in our kneading bowls. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, whatever the will last another day. Um, a note on the adorn yourself over me thing. I said, no idea. I do have an idea. So it's usually translated glory over me. Um, and we've had that conversation about glory before. That's not the word glory. We tend to edit out anytime we have words that have to do with beauty and adornment when it's a men talking because of our culture around men not supposed to men aren't supposed to be adorned and ornamented in our culture. And so we tend to switch it to the word glory. So this is one of those instances. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say kavod yourself over me, make yourself heavy over me, which would make sense, honestly. But he says adorn yourself. And he's saying like, you know, and I think anyway, do your fancy thing, like flex your power here. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, there's a, a a teaching that I heard, and I don't remember the origin or who it was. Oh, boy. I know. So if, if this, a doozy. If this rings a bell for somebody, go ahead and drop a note, because... <laughs> I told you that in 1997. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because I think it's, it's interesting, I think it's compelling, and that it's, uh, what is happening here is Perro's... The house of Pero is used to authority and ruling in which they get to determine who, when, why, where, how, etc. And it is done at their request. Uh-huh. And so what is at play here is a, uh, it's really a, a power dynamic of showing the authority that God has to make this stop whenever beyond just the uh right instant yeah like it's definitely an extra flex of god being like to prove that it's me say the word and i'll do it but it's also kind of a meeting para where he's at like he's used to being allowed to give all the orders and being the fancy one and so i feel like that's why moshe is saying adorn yourself over me like yeah. be fancy do your thing keep the power dynamic that you're comfortable with because right. we're still playing nice here nice ish you know there's blood in the trees potentially but um but yeah Yes, uh, and he, again, just says, tomorrow's fine. I'll deal with the frogs for another night. Right. I don't know about you, but I would not be chill with that. Right. Uh, and Moshe backs up what we were just talking about because he says, At, we'll do it as your word in order that you will know that there's none like Yahweh our God, except for they'll still remain in, in the Yor, potentially in the Nile, which is funny because like it's not funny. God cares about ecology. He didn't just like kill all the frogs. He left them in their natural habitat, which is nice for the marsh leapers. Yeah. Well, moving down to verse 12, it says that Moshe shrieked to Yahweh. Yes. And 
usually we see cried here. Uh, so yeah. cried, shrieked, right? Uh, kind of see the same. But it was I was curious about the word that's there. It's tsa'ak. Yep, that's our word that the Hebrew people were doing at the very beginning. And it says that God heard them and remembered them. Right. It's tsa'ak. Yeah, and I think it is using that word because that's what effective intercession is like you experiencing and empathizing with the person that you're praying for and the situation that you're praying for as if it were you Mm. right um it's the same suffering that god's people were going through and he harnesses that to talk about somebody else um and i think that you know is has humility and emotional vulnerability and it does feel striking that it pops out of nowhere to me anyway when I'm reading the narrative like Moshe feels like he's in control he feels like he's pretty solid here he's doing everything that God tells him to and then does he shrieked what (laughs) why is he shrieking um and I think that's why and I think it's supposed to stand out yeah um yeah I think it's interesting we see it in Genesis chapter 4 uh with Cain, mm. God says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It shrieks right. to me from the ground. Right. Um, and we also see it with uh, Asav. Mm-hmm. He shrieks about his blessing being stolen. Right. Yeah. You can also use howls. Um, yeah. Bellows. I think it's like the sound of a wounded cow, if I remember. Mm. So, um moos yeah these cows are back moshe cows are back in town (laughs) yeah with the giant frog on the horizon yeah okay um so i think shrieking kung fu cows i need somebody like josh basse in here to tell me why now it says that the marsh leapers died from the courtyards when before it didn't even list that they were in the courtyards but now they're in the courtyards in the fields Right. It's like, why wouldn't mm. have the parallelism and say kneading trough or whatever? Maybe that's where the kneading troughs are in the, in the fields, <laughs> in the court, in the courtyards. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's just surprising to me that it's not a parallelism. It is weird that they've changed the language. I agree. Uh, and then he says th- they heap them together, bubbling mortar of bubbling mortar, which is weird until you follow this hypothesis i'm putting out there that each plague has to do with the way that the israelites were oppressed and what were they making way back in exodus at the very beginning they're making mortar yeah yeah i mean this is the word that you're gonna see as heaps yeah right which they, is, it's a choice. They heaped them together in heaps. <laughs> right, but they're totally different words. Right. It's weird to pretend that they're the same words. Right. They're not. And it's I get that Comer? it's... Comer? Is that right? Yeah. Comer? It's weird to say mortar because I don't I don't know how to make mortar, but I presume that pieces of a giant frog is a weird ingredient in one's mortar. Um and so I get why they changed it. I just disagree uh, because, again, it's bringing us back to God saying, you want to oppress my people? You want some mortar? Here, I'll give you mortar. Yeah. Let's leave it bubbling in the heat all over the countryside. Right. Yeah. And this goes back to Genesis 11, which is Tower of Babel. Right. Empire. Uh, They're trying to build their right. little legacy. Right. They had brick for stone and bitumen, which is chemar, and mortar, which is chomer. 
Yep, there. That's the same word. It's just different vowels. They had chomer and chomer. <laughs> yes, which you should know that word because Passover. Chomer's Odyssey. No, it's part of Passover. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, um, the land stank with all of it. Then we have a weird thing. Pero saw that there was the spirit. It is a weird thing. Um, I, my theory is that he's talking about renewed spirit, like his people's spirit was like, you know, straining slash half dead under the giant frog bits. Right, but they're fine now. But it goes away. He sees that spirit is renewed. He heavies his heart. That's my, uh, that's my theory. Hmm. Yeah. Either that or it's a spirit. Just, yeah, that's not usually the word for that kind of spirit, but. Right. Right. Yeah. Zoloch, as in God's spirit. Right. KGV ESV says respite. Yeah. NIV says relief. That's interpretation as translation, which I find dishonest. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of dishonesty, we're not quite there yet. I might make mistakes. However, I... Yeah, anyway. Okay, he heavied his heart. He did not shem'ah them as Yahweh had spoken. Right. Um, And then... Moving into part two. Right. We have the same pattern stretch out. Well, I don't know if it's the same pattern, actually. He doesn't say anything about lifting your hand, I guess. Yeah, it's just stretch out your branch. There's no hand in this one. Stretch it out. What does he stretch it out with? We don't know. It could be (laughs) in his mouth. (laughs) No. I don't need that kind of creativity. (laughs) Too many options. <laughs> um, okay, we'll leave it at that. Moving on. Uh, okay, plague the crash dust. Hypothesis, evidence. Um, we've got that they were crushed into the dust with hot, hard labor, right? Is like our word for oppression. The word for dust has to do with crushedness, something that's been made very small. Um, and so it's connecting to their oppression again. Um, the land, by the way, is feminine, which is why it says she will become, and then I presume you want to talk to me about my choice of parasites. I do. First, I want to talk to you about your choice of plague. Uh, oh, no. Did I miss something? Because it's Naka. It's, oh, okay. We went back to the other one. So we it should be to, touched. Yeah. This is the, what you would see, smite, strikes, touch. Wait, did you say Naka or Naga? Naka. Okay, I just need this to look naka. at it. Naka. This I, is the strike to kill Cain strikes. What verse are we in? Havel. Uh, this is verse 16. Look at me. I said that I would have mistakes, but not dishonesty. All of my mistakes are honest mistakes. So yeah, it is. It's the word hach, which I remember looking at and thinking like, wow, that's a cool onomatopoeic thing. And I missed that it wasn't haf. Um, oh. so <laughs> that was what I was focused on. Okay, so yeah, it is strike the crushed dust of the land, which feels very like, I don't know, that could be like a scene in The Chosen where it's just like the branch smacking some dust i don't know feel cinematic um we have him strike the crushed dust of the land and rashi says that this is kind of a creation moment right because it says she will become parasites yes and so rashi notes that striking the land causes the land the dust to turn into parasites 
Right. So if you're missing how that's a creation moment, by the way, it's the verb hayab, which is what um, which is what God says to everything when he's calling to stuff. And I just said that be light, be comma light. Um, it's the word be is to bring of, forth kind of unusual, especially in this. For, well, it's not to bring forth. It's the word for be. Um, be that would be like to. the. Yeah, but other translations might get a little bit more flowery with that bring forth is a different word um it's in the creation narrative uh they're different okay um but but yeah so that's where he's pulling it from so he wants us to be a sad sad creation because we're making parasites uh no he was comparing it to it it goes into the reason why the uh the ones who held the book and the stylus cannot do this miracle. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's because their power comes from uh, demons, essentially, right? Fallen angels, whatever. Okay. Uh, and they are uh, unable to do this kind of act. Hmm. So, Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm very curious about that from a Jewish perspective, because in the Jewish perspective, God did make creation with the help of angels, because he says, let us, and Christians go, aha, the Trinity! Yeah, so the Sanhedrin say that that's because these creatures are smaller than a barley corn. Oh! (laughs) Therefore... They, <laughs> they can't do of it. Of course, the so, darn barley corn rule. Right, the barley corn. <laughs> How could I rule. have forgotten? <laughs> big, let's go big or go home, and they went home. So. I guess. Well, fascinating. Now I know uh, if I'm ever wondering if something has demonic origin, if it's smaller than a barley corn. I'm good, because that's a normal question I have in my yeah. regular life. Yeah, I mean, I just. I have a barley corn on my keychain that I can whip out at any time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely know what that looks like even. Okay. Uh, the word parasite. Chinam. Yeah. It's not gnats and it's not lice. Yep. It's actually chinim. Um, Which I found to be a super confusing word. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Great. Uh, yeah. So it is, the picture behind it is fastened. Um, so yeah. it's some kind of being that fastens itself to something else. And so okay. the Jewish tr- interpretation goes with lice because that is a insect that fastens itself to humans. Um, the Christian interpretation has kind of gone with a pinching picture, which I find less compelling than the fastened picture. Um, and so they were like, well, what, what animal it's, they're tying fastened to with pinching. Like the root has to do with the fact that you're attached, but in order to attach, you pinch. So that's where the discrepancy is coming from. Hmm. And so they did the thumb twiddly method and went with, well, Nat's bite, um, and went with that one. I went with parasite because I don't know, maybe it is Nat's, maybe it's louses, maybe it's louses, lice. Um, Lyses. <laughs> Lyses. Uh, like maybe it's something else. Um, and also, parasites are gross. So there's that. Um, but that's the idea. There are now things that fasten themselves to stuff, to people, probably. 
So that's the story. What's curious about this part to me is that it says that the ones who hold the book and stylus and their blazing fire did so to bring out the parasites, but they couldn't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they like went through the motions to do it, but it didn't happen. And what is it about this specific one that they are unable to replicate? Well, again, uh, the demon through whose agency this was to be done <laughs> is powerless in the case of a creature smaller than right, a barley corn. Right. How did I forget? According and to the Sanhedrin 67b. Right. Tractate Sanhedrin. Well, how could I forget that, that, that we just talked about that? Uh, well, fascinating. I love they, what they say here is that he is the finger of God. Yeah. Usually, I'm sure you found Who? this translated, this is the finger of God. Yes. Who is the finger of God? Uh, well, I presume that it's Moshe. And I've always thought that they meant, because there is the word for this, you're giggling like you've stolen some candy. I'm giggling. It's a play on the Hebrew word, which is who. Oh, yes. Yes. It go The pronouns in Hebrew go, who is he? He is she. If you find that. Who is on first? Yes. It's, it's one of those. One of those jokes. She is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So he is the finger of God means that they're talking about Moshe rather than this phenomenon being the finger of God. Yeah. Uh, which I think is cool because, I, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but we talk about being the body of Christ, you know, and all the way back here we have an emissary, a prophet of God. Right. Acting as his finger. And they seem to translate it this in a lot of spaces where they, uh, I would guess they just felt uncomfortable putting he. Yeah, I think that they're worried about Moshe being too powerful there. Because um, yeah. there is a word for this in Hebrew. It's the word zeh, so it should be zeh at spot, but it's not. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Rashi says that, you know, they had to admit that Moshe was the finger of God because they were unable to replicate. Yeah, right? no, so I think that totally direct, tracks. Yeah. And so, uh, and I think that, you know, saying he is the finger of God, right. Uh, should not be scary. Oh, like it shouldn't make us feel insecure. Right. Like Jesus has to be better. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. We have our last thing here, which uh, he's coming out of the water. Apparently his bathroom break just finished right. uh, from last week. Dang it, why do they keep showing up after, <laughs> the after my secret bathroom trips? Yeah, it's kind of like a bully that's waiting for the kid to go use the restroom. I guess. He's trapped. Yeah, wow. Um, if you have no See, idea what we're why, talking about. That's why they are the, the two other plagues. Go back to the previous episode. Um, okay, and we're sending a giant raven this time, which... If you, you know, are following along, You're it like, says, oh, what? <laughs> this is, okay. This is another, uh, another deity. So Nephthys is our raven goddess, um, and she is the guardian of death. She's the, the death goddess, um, which totally tracks as a, um, 
as a foreshadowing of what's going to happen later, right? Because we're always worried about the firstborn um, and the fact that God killed um, a bunch of firstborns. Um, And so here's another thing uh, that is warning them and foreshadowing that and also talking about what happened to God's people. He's sending like the, for in our culture, it would be somebody with a giant sickle, right? Um, it's, It's that. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating. You know, I I was again completely surprised when I saw the word raven. Oh yeah, right. Should probably so, talk about how I got there. Yeah. So verse, and we're looking at verse twenty one here for people who are following along in the text. For if you will not send my people, look at me. I am sending in you and in your servants and in your people and in your houses the raven, singular the raven, singular the giant raven. Yes. Um, and uh, we see this as most commonly swarms of flies. Yes. So let's do this merry little dance of how they got from a plague of gnats to a plague of flies, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, Let me tell you. So the root there is the same. Um, If you look in Strong's, he's put it under a whole bunch of different uh, meanings because he's not a philologist. He's a, you know, he's, he did a thing. He did a thing, which has blessed God's people enormously. Um, but anyway, they're all the same word. It's the word out of. Yeah. Um, and it's our word. It's all over the place. It's Yes, it is all over the place. And it means, um, one of the ways to talk about what it means is intermixed. So we see that when we're talking about the word for dusk, it was dusky mm-hmm. um, because it's a mix of daytime and nighttime. Um, but the out of, because it shows up in verb forms and everything, um, is the raven, like the raven in the story of um, post-flood world. Um, the way that they get to swarm um, has to do with the violation, which, as I've said so many times, is a much later edition, is not inspired. So at some point in time, the Masoretes and the Gal- Galilee way later said that they didn't want it to be a raven, and so they gave it different violation. Or they were just whimsically changing the violation, which they do continually on like people's names, and they didn't yeah. intend for it to be imagined differently. But anyway, they get the idea that it's uh, a swarm because of that mixed word. They're like, what's something that's mixed and is scary and bad? A yeah. swarm. And that's the conversation that we see in the uh, rabbinic Okay, so maybe they're also pulling from that, well, um, so, which is great. Well, but just that, pointing out, it's also still singular rather than plural. It's the swarm, if it was swarm. And usually it's swarms of flies, but... Tell me what the rabbinics say. Um, I mean, they say all, all sorts of stuff. Rashi says that it's all kinds of wild beasts, serpents, and scorpions. Oh, uh, that would be mixed. Uh, Ibn Ezra says that it's a mixture of evil beasts, such as lions, wolves, bears, and leopards. Oh, my. Uh, Sforno yep. says that it's snakes Ooh. and other creepers of the kind that inhabit the lower levels of the earth beneath okay. its surface. Um, which I don't know, like moles, the mole people. Um, <laughs> and other people say that it's just a general wild beasts. Okay. Um, Rambam says that it's wolves. 
Okay. So they're just kind of all over the place trying to figure out what does this... What is mixed. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot to of, of credence to your position there on, uh, hey, you guys, Noah sends out a raven, not a swarm of wolves right. <laughs> uh, from the Ark. Right. Uh, and for a little bit of clarity there, because I know I often say like the Masoretes came way later, that way later really is way later. It's at the very earliest... The end of the 5th century CE, so 500 years after Christ, uh, that's when the Masoretes show up. Um, and we certainly know that that's the case because um, even if we didn't know about this community and what they were doing, vowels didn't exist until them. You've been to Tiberius with me. There's statues yeah. of um, vowels everywhere because these guys invented vowels. Um, Rashi, of course, is from the medieval era. And so he's referring to them as authoritative as are all those guys. Right. Um, but even he's looking at this and saying, huh? Yeah. Right. And so none of them are saying swarms of flies. Um, they're just <laughs> picking mixed groups. Yeah. Flies is definitely a later right. thing. And so I'm saying these guys from the fifth to the 10th century CE or AD are not inspired. And so yeah. I'm going with the, the plain, raven yeah um, i love it i think it's fascinating well and i think it fits with the mythology yeah. like if if i had to guess which god does you know god call upon to walk around egypt and scare people um i would be like i don't know the god of death and yes it is literally um okay that being said I was trying to finish this out quickly, but there's so much stuff in here. I will place a ransom between my people and your people. We've got our first use of ransom captive theology, theology. right here, yeah, which I love. Um, you know, we tend to think of that as starting off with the patris patristics, but all the way back here, edited out of some of our translations, is got keeps out that raven via a ransom, which I also love. Because we have our own ideas about, other than Egyptian mythology, about a supernatural being of death. Um, and some of our protestations against ransom captive theology, um, not me specifically, but the larger Christian community and theological conversation is saying, well, how can we possibly give Satan that much power that God would have to sacrifice himself in order to do something Aslan style? Here, that's exactly what's right. happening. He says, you give Precisely. me my people and I will give you your people back. God sends, so God still has authority here. He calls upon the raven, this supernatural death being. Yeah. Um, or at least symbolizes that to the Egyptian people. Um, and in order to keep him out, he has to provide, or he chooses to provide anyway, a ransom. Just saying. Yeah. And it it kind of almost works, right? Because we finally see Pero say, okay, go and <laughs> right. do the thing. Right. Um, uh, which, I mean, totally makes sense that that would be a persuasive. Any of these, I am, maybe I'm just a dainty flower that gets um, transformed by the faintest breeze. But you turn my water to blood, I'm doing what you say. Right. Uh, you put frogs in my bed, we're, we're all done. Um, but yeah, apparently it takes, it takes the goddess of death for Pero to be like, never mind, you can worship 
or specifically slaughter or sacrifice to your God, but he still wants them to do it in the land. And Moshe says, you don't want that. That's gross for you guys, which is a weird thing that we've seen all the way back in Genesis where they were going to eat together. And it was the same word, this abomination word. Yeah. Um, And so they had to eat separately, which seems xenophobic of the Egyptians, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, Rashi has a note here and says that the reason it's an abomination is that their god, their chief god, Amun-Ra, is represented as a sheep or a ram or whatever, and that's what they're going to be sacrificing. So for them to Mm. sacrifice it in Egypt would be taking their god, killing it, and having a party. Rashi to the rescue. Which would not look great. And Moshe's like, hey, if we do that, we're (laughs) probably going to cause a They're going to stone us. Yeah, Yeah, totally. No, that absolutely makes sense. And I think that doubly makes sense because Pedro says, okay, right? Right. Moshe was just... Yeah, it was convincing enough. ...making up some garbage. He'd be like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. But no, he's like, yep, you guys are right. Uh, And we have the burning incense intercession again. Um, we have it happening tomorrow. And he says, Oh, that pero, it's the cohortative tense again. Oh, yeah. I wish that he would not deceive us. Please don't. Um, and it doesn't work. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to talk about in this chapter mm-hmm. is that word deceive because it stood out to me because of Laban. Yeah. How'd you get there already? I haven't even talked about it yet. <laughs> Because I also think about first mentions. <laughs> oh, man. You are not alone. So this is a completely new comparative perspective for me that I think is absolutely wild uh, and compelling in that uh, we see this word in Genesis 31. Mm-hmm. Your father has deceived me and changed right. my wages how many times? So many. Ten times. How many oh, plagues are there? Ooh. 10 plagues Mm. what's he trying to do get away right when more specifically than that what Yaakov specifically says it is it is time for me to go make my own household yeah and the exodus is famously the time that the nation right we bring all of our different cultural context to the word nation but the people Am Yisrael um, exists because they came out of Egypt at this time before they were just the family of Abraham. But now they are their own bait. They're their own household. Yeah. And that's exactly what Yaakov is trying yeah. to do. Uh, yeah. Yaakov enters into service for Levan as a shepherd, gets tricked into all sorts of service, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's working to get his bride, which is what God is doing here. I think there's all sorts Ooh, of super oh, interesting comparisons. I love that. Um, oh, such a good episode. There's so much in here, not because we are like particularly great. Um, I made mistakes, uh, which I hope doesn't happen very this often. This is just us stumbling through but the text. But right. Yeah. Oh, boy. Striking uh, our foot against one stone and the next. But striking or plaguing our feet. Just touching. Um, We're touching yeah, our foot against the stone. Tenderly. Yeah. Uh, but there's so much good tenderly. stuff in here. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Muppets reference for not everybody uh, out there. Okay. Yeah, I'm continually blown away by these texts that I don't know about everybody else, but if you've sat through a Passover Seder where you read the whole text, like uh, 
I've done for years. There's a chase. This is usually the part where I'm like, uh, here are all the plagues, but no, they're, they're mind blowing. So I love the goodness that's in here. All right. Well, this has been the Text and Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter 9. Yep. If you have any questions, you can send them to textandus at gmail.com. See you next week. Bye.